right. Good morning. And thank you for taking a minute to greet the people around you. Um, would you actually stand again as um, we read the passage that we're going to be learning from this morning? And then when I finish reading, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And then I'd invite you all to respond, thanks be to God. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nine, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, thank you, Maya. Grab a seat if you haven't already. Hey, my name is uh, Adam. I'm one of the pastors here. Oh, there I am. One of the pastors here at Mosaic, and I get to open scripture with you. And uh, I know it's been said, but I want to say again, just happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to my dad, uh, who watches sometimes in Arizona. Um, great day to, to celebrate, whether you have little kids, adult kids, or spiritual kids. Uh, grateful for you. Um, before I open scripture, I also wanted to give just a, a brief update uh, for, for the Harveys, for my family. We've had a, a pretty full couple of weeks. Uh, 11 days ago today, on uh, Wednesday, June 8th, my middle daughter, Madison, who's 13, had a pretty significant jaw surgery uh, to open up her, her windpipe. It was kind of closed off. And uh, we, Dana and I were, I was working from home. She was taking time off, kind of around the clock care for her for, for several days after the surgery. It went well. And uh, yeah, I'm thanking Jesus for that. And I also wanted to just thank you guys, our, our community. There's a number of you who we do life with as a family, and we just felt your presence and love through this whole process. Um, that was expressed through meals that were dropped off, texts that were sent, prayers that were prayed, uh, lots and lots of flowers that were brought over to our house. Uh, we, we just felt really cared for and loved, and I wanted to thank you. And it actually was so significant. It was a bit of a teaching moment for Madison, who's going through a, a pretty long healing journey. The whole journey will take two months. She can't eat food for two months. I can't even imagine that. Um, but she was asking me, Dad, why do all these people keep sending us all this stuff? And, and I got to teach her about what community means, what it is to share life with uh, other people. And it was a sweet moment for her. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. She told me she was going to be watching from uh, home today. So honey, I love you. I'm very proud of you. I hope that you're doing well. All right. Uh, we're going to open scripture to Luke chapter 7. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, um, turn there. We're going to be looking at these words that, that Maya just read for us. And uh, much of the spring, we've actually been in Luke chapter 6. And uh, it's it's a, a sermon, it recounts a sermon um, that Jesus taught called the Sermon on the Plain. 
And then going into Luke chapter seven now is Jesus after that sermon beginning to demonstrate what his spiritual kingdom is going to be like, beginning to live out and solidify the teaching that we heard from Luke chapter six. And so we've already gone over one story and it was the healing of the centurion's servant uh, where Jesus healed from afar and this amazing display of his authority. And now in this reading from today, we are introduced to a new power that Jesus has. We have heard his teaching through these first seven chapters. We've seen him perform miracles. He's healed a man with leprosy. He's healed a man who was paralyzed. He's delivered someone from an evil spirit. He's been teaching with authority. But now we see this new power that he demonstrates where he brings life to death, where he takes what is dead, where life is gone, and he breathes life into it. And now there is life where there was death before. This, this power we call resurrection power. The story where Jesus displays that his authority, his kingdom extends even beyond death. It's an amazing story. It's a beautiful story. And I, I once had a, um, a spiritual mentor, uh, someone who was discipling me, and he would say, Adam, when, when you read these stories, these interactions that Jesus has, he would say, slow down. Put yourself into this story. Imagine what they're thinking, feeling, what they're seeing. Because these are the kinds of stories that give us a grander view of who Jesus is. To not rush on past these stories of Jesus saying and doing amazing things, but to sit in the story. That's what I invite us to do this morning as we look at these, this story of, of Jesus raising this young man to life. To put ourselves in this story and to walk out of this place with a grander view of who our Jesus is. Let me pray for us real quick. Jesus, thank you uh, for this day. Um, thank you for all that this day signifies and represents. Um, and thank you for your word that we get to look at this story, that we get a, a picture of who you are, your power, your compassion, your ability and willingness to bring life where there was only death before. And I pray that you would captivate our attention and our imagination this morning. And that we, after looking at this story, would have an expanded view and understanding and ultimately an expanded faith of you. So we thank you and we love you in your name. Amen. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 11, says this. Soon after, Jesus went to a town called Nine, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. So we start by, by giving some context and setting the scene for this amazing story that's about to unfold. And it begins with a phrase, soon after, and this is on the heels of the healing of the centurion's servant. And, and from that place, the, this crowd of people is beginning to follow Jesus. Some of them are his disciples. Some of them are, are even his critics. Some of them are just mesmerized in awe and trying to figure out who this this person is. And, and there's a large crowd that is, that is following him as they're going to this city. And there's a collision with another large crowd in this city. 
the city of Nine, uh, which translates to the pleasant or, or a pleasant place. And, and it's anything but that at this point, because this other crowd has gathered because of a tragic and untimely death. This crowd, we're told, is gathered to rally around this woman who's leading the procession with torn clothes, as was the custom and tradition, leading this procession because her only son has passed away. And she already knows death. She already knows the, the, the heaviness and sadness of death because she, she's a widow. And so it's injury to insult because not only has she lost these very close relationships to her life, in this cultural setting, she's also lost her way to provide for herself and to care for herself. And so there's these two large crowds, one being led by Jesus with people full of amazement, faith, and questions. Another large crowd being led by a grieving, mourning mother. And in this city nine, the, the, the custom would have been that everyone would have participated in the town. To some degree, they would have come out as mourners. Some of them even paid mourners. And they're there and they're gathered and they are grieving the loss of this young man. Now, natural intuition uh, and, and, and maybe even natural courtesy would have been, as Jesus is approaching this town, he probably would have been known in this town. It's only five or six miles from Nazareth uh, and would have known people there. And, and as they're approaching, the common courtesy would have been to see what's happening. There's been a death. They're engaged in mourning. They're engaged in grief. This isn't a time for me to come into this town and begin to teach about my kingdom. This isn't a time for me to come into this town. This is actually not a time for outsiders, and, and, and they need to move on. But we read in verse 13 that Jesus is moved, and it says this, When the Lord saw her, the mother, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. So Jesus, with this crowd of people, comes to this, this parade of death, this funeral that is happening, and he sees the mother, and we see something about Jesus. We see that he is moved to compassion, that her grief is moving his heart. And what a, what a fascinating concept. Jesus is our clearest representation of who God is, right? The living Jesus, the man who came through a virgin birth 2,000 years ago, lived 33 years. This Jesus is our clearest picture of what God is like, how he thinks, how he responds, how he feels towards us. And this representation of the living God sees this mourning woman, and he doesn't turn away. He doesn't reject her. He doesn't exit the scene. His heart is moved and he stepped towards her. And what an amazing thought. What an, uh, just an amazing idea that the God of the universe sees us in our brokenness, in our need, in the places where we experience death, and he doesn't turn away, but rather his heart is moved. That he grieves when we're grieving, that he hurts when we're hurting, and that he steps towards us. I mean, I don't always think about authority and power that way. When I think about the constructs of authority and power that, that, that I navigate in my life, I, I, I'm not often inclined to think about them being moved with compassion towards my plight. 
That's not the way authority is, is usually dealt with or, 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 or administrated out in our setting. And yet, here is the God of the universe personified in Jesus who is moved with compassion because of the hurting of this mother. There's a psalm in, um, it's Psalm 103.13, that says this, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear or, or, or who revere him. We're allowed to see into this story the heart of Jesus being moved by compassion. And he comes to this woman, and then he says, don't cry. That seems like an odd thing for Jesus to say. If I were uh, a close uh, friend of this family or someone who knew this family well, and I'm walking with this grieving mother, her dead son is on this, this, man, this stretcher laid out, and we're carrying him around, and this prophet, this man named Jesus comes, and he tells her, don't cry. That doesn't seem to make sense. If there, if there was ever an appropriate moment to cry, it would be this moment. Now, we know because we've already heard the next few verses, he, he's telling her, do not cry, because he's about to raise her son from dead to life. But in telling her to do, do, don't cry, Jesus is not rejecting grief. Jesus is not telling her that grief doesn't have a place, that there's not a time and a place for us to be sad, to mourn, and to grieve. We talk about resurrection and this power that God has to bring life where there is death. But part of the human condition is also to experience death. The resurrection has its place, but, but many times the power of that resurrection, the fruit of that resurrection is in the waiting. And Father's Day is, is always a little bit of a mixed bag um, for me of, of emotions this last seven years, because uh, it's about the time when my, uh, my grandfather on my mother's side passed away. And I've, I've shared with you guys about him before. It's a very important relationship to me as a child. Um, he was kind of a leader, a spiritual leader of our family, and just kind of a, a pillar for all of our family. Um, we, we revered him, looked up to him, and, and he died of, of brain cancer about seven years ago, around this time. And the thing that I know about my grandfather is that he loved Jesus. He taught me how to love Jesus. He discipled me. He was the first one to disciple me. The thing I know about him is that, that he believed in Jesus. He believed in Jesus' resurrection power. He taught it. He proclaimed it. He would tell anyone who would listen to him. And the thing I know about him is he is now present with Jesus. And I love that. And I believe with everything I am, there will be a day that I'll get to be in his presence again because of Jesus' resurrection power. But I'm not going to be able to call him today. I mean, I'm not going to be able to hear advice from him or stories, beautiful and hilarious stories from his youth. I can't hug him. I can't go on a walk with him. In the presence of this resurrection power. We also know that there's, there's place for grief. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us there's a season and a time for everything, for life and for death, for joy and for mourning. We even have recorded in the New Testament a time Jesus grieving over the death of his friend who he, he's just about to raise back to life, and yet it tells us that, that he weeps. 
And I bring this up because as we're talking about resurrection power and we're looking at this amazing story, this miracle that Jesus did to validate his authority to the, the, the people uh, who were there, to, to, to let them know he's more than just a teacher, that he has power even over death. This story is so amazing and yet we, we also know the human condition that we mourn, that we grieve, that Jesus is powerful. He does resurrect. He does bring back to life. I believe this, and yet I know I'm not exempt from the human emotion and reality of grief. Jesus is bringing life to this community, and he does this for you and I, where there is brokenness, where there is death, where there are places we've just lost hope. Jesus meets us faithfully and powerfully and with compassion and restores and he brings life. The story continues in, in verse 14. I said, uh, then he went up and touched the bier. They were carrying him on and the bear stood still and he said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. So when these two verses contain the power of this story, Jesus walks up to this dead man, touches the stretcher that he's laying on, and tells him, young man, I say to you, get up. And in that moment, physical life is restored to his dead body, and he sits up and he talks. What in the world does he say? Luke does not tell us. I would love to know. Like, what is going on in his mind? There's all these mourners. Maybe he's hungry. Mom, what's going on? We don't know. I'm very curious about that. Young man, get up. And through power, resurrection power, this young man comes back to life. These simple verses teach us so much about our Savior. Firstly, that when he comes up on this scene and sees this dead man, his inclination isn't to turn away, but it's to go towards the death. His inclination isn't to, to preserve himself, but actually go towards the death, to be present with them, to bring life to them. You know, it was their custom at this time that, that if you were in the presence with death, if you certainly touched something that a dead person was laying on or a dead body, a corpse, you were, by the custom, ceremoniously unclean. That you would have to go through a procedure to, to cleanse yourself, and there would be a time, and there would be all this effort put into it. And so when, when someone died in a town, and the town came out and rallied, and they all mourned together, they, they kind of placed themselves in this mourning state in this unclean state. And passerby, people who don't know who this is, this isn't their relative, this isn't their friend, this isn't their town, they would have stayed clear because to put themselves in proximity to death means they were unclean, that they would have to be ceremoniously cleansed and, and, and go through that process. And Jesus, Jesus does not shrink back from the death, but rather at risk and peril to himself, goes towards it. We see this modeled by Jesus over and over, all the way to the cross. He's not repelled by our death, but rather 
he goes towards it. And I can imagine that there, there was religious leaders uh, probably in the crowd with Jesus, waiting to condemn him, waiting to question him. There would have been religious leaders in this small town of nine who were, who were part of the morning procession. And, and, and none of them are mentioned, but, but, I, but I'm certain they would have been there and would have been watching Jesus go towards this, this dead body, this corpse, and ready to condemn him until the corpse starts talking. Then they probably just decided not to say anything. But Jesus, what he does in this moment is he violates rules, customs, and traditions for the sake of life. He offends. He steps on toes. He violates the codes, the regulation, in order to bring this young man life. Jesus has this this effect and this interaction with with religious leaders where, where Jesus chooses something better, where Jesus chooses life, chooses healing, chooses to heal on days when he shouldn't be healing on the Sabbath, chooses to, to dine and to, to be with people who are of, of, of bad report or, or bad reputation. And he has this, this kind of back and forth with, with religious leaders. And there's one instance in Mark chapter 7, and, and, and this is where religious leaders are frustrated with him because of how his disciples are washing their hands. Really important stuff, right? And he has this reply for them. He says, uh, this is Mark 7, starting verse 6. He replies, Isaiah, who is a prophet in the Old Testament, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely, uh, merely human rules. You have left out, you have, you have let out go of the commandments of God and are holding to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commandments of God in order to observe your own traditions. Jesus didn't come to establish codes and traditions. Jesus came to pursue what was dead, to bring life. Jesus came, moved compassion, not out of obligation, but his heart is moved. His heart is moved by by what makes us dead. His heart is moved by what makes us broken. And he comes with healing, with resurrection power to bring life where there was only death, not bound by regulation, not intimidated by our death, with power to save. This is Jesus. And I love this story. It's, it's, it's a bit of a unique healing because in this instance, there's actually no one requesting Jesus do anything. Right? We, we don't have a count of someone uh, from this town who had heard of Jesus, who ran across the five or six miles and said, Jesus, please come. This young man has died and, and his mom's a widow and, and it's all he has or she has. Will you please come and do something? We don't even have an instance of the mom running up to Jesus and throwing herself at her feet and saying, can you do something? Can you do anything? No one is credited of having faith for this young man to be healed. This is purely the work of Jesus and his motivation. I'm reminded uh, just a few moments ago, we sung a song about Jesus being at work when we don't see it, when we don't feel it, because of who he is, because of his character, because of his goodness, because of when he looks at you and I, his heart is moved, 
and he's at work. He heals this young man because he's faithful. God is always faithful. When we don't feel it, when we don't see it, when we've not asked for it, he's faithful. Even to a dead young man carried on a stretcher, he is faithful. He heals this young man, and, and the crowd responds. It says in verse 16, they were all filled with awe, and they praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countries. They didn't quite understand who he was yet. They still thought, thought he was a, a prophet representing God, and every one of them at some point in the not-too-distant future would have to make that determination of who is this man because he's not just a prophet. But they make this declaration that God has visited his people, that God has helped his people. This is a phrase that shows up many times in the Old Testament when they experience God doing the miraculous and saving work for them. And they testify. This is their story of what they have seen. This is what you and I are called to do about Jesus' resurrection power. That we are the people that say God has come to his people. He's come to you and he's come to me. And he's brought life He's brought hope where there was hopelessness. He's brought new where there was old and where there was death. This is his resurrection power that you and I get to experience it. We experience it in the knowledge that at some point we get to be fully present with God. That at some point we get to stand in the physical presence of the God of the universe because of this resurrection power that Jesus has. We, we have um, two things that we do, kind of sacred activities. You can call them sacraments. Uh, one of them is, is baptism. We're going to do this this summer at the beach. I can't wait. It's going to be really cold. It's going to be awesome. But we go underwater, and when we do this, Colossians 1 tells us that, that, that we are identifying with the death of Jesus and with his resurrection and that we are resurrected by, because of his power as new creations. And we celebrate that resurrection power in baptism. And we do it through communion. The taking of the juice, the taking of the bread, that signifies Jesus giving his resurrection power by dying on a cross and coming to life. And, and this is how we orient our, our reality. That at some point we get to be fully present with God. There's a scripture that I, I think on a lot, and I read on a lot, especially when things in my life or the world around me feel a little chaotic, a little uncertain. The, the moorings that I have in my life seem to be a little loose. And it's in Revelations 21, verse 3, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the older things have passed away. Orienting ourselves to this reality, that because of Jesus' resurrection power that he brought to us when we were dead, we have this eternal 
everlasting hope. And the access to that, we're told in Scripture in Romans 10, is confessing with our mouth and believing with our heart that Jesus is Lord. There's a resurrection power for the life to come. There's also resurrection power for the here and now. Running, um, running a long race, I like to run long races from time to time, it requires having this, this kind of split vision. You, you kind of got to have your mind set on the finish line. Your mind set on, eventually this is, this is going to be over, it's going to be done, and I'll cross this finish line, and, and whatever goal I had, I set out for, it, it, it'll, it'll be done then. But, it, but you also have to have your, your eyes in the every step present moment, or you'll fall. You can't just be thinking about the finish line. You have to also be thinking about what you're doing, the next step, the next placement. Jesus' resurrection power is life for us in the life to come. It's also life for us in the here and now, through his spirit, leading, guiding, directing, teaching in our lives, leading us on a life, on a pathway of life, experiencing moment by moment, day by day, his resurrection power by his spirit dwelling within us. We're going to come to the tables here in just a moment. We're going to celebrate what these tables signify. The juice being Jesus' blood, the bread being his body broken for us so that this resurrection power can be extended to all. And as we're going, or before we go, I'm going to read a prayer over us. And uh, the team is going to lead us into a, a song. It's, it's a new song called Springtime. It's a song singing about Jesus' resurrection power at work in our hearts. Just as plants push through the soil of a dead winter, Jesus is bringing life because of his power and his spirit in us. He's bringing life out of you and out of me. If you would, just close your eyes for a moment as I read this prayer. This is Ephesians 1. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you would know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glory, gl glorious inheritance in his holy people, and the incomparably great power for those of us who believe. That power, the same power as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms. Jesus, we know that that great power was the Holy Spirit, that power that raised you from the dead, that brought healing and life and resurrection to us. That same Spirit that did that lives within us, that we have access to this resurrection power in our daily living. I pray as we go to these tables, Jesus, you would he would remind us of your power. You would remind us that you are moved by compassion, that you've come to us, even in the places where we've experienced death and we want to hide and we feel ashamed that we can come and bring those before you. 
to repent, to be sorry. The places where we feel hurt, the places where we feel brokenness that we cannot imagine being mended, that we can come and bring that before you to know that you won't shun, you won't turn away. But through compassion, you'll meet us faithfully time and time again. And so we come to these tables bringing our full selves and we come with thankfulness and worship to receive your life and your resurrection power. We pray this in your name. Amen.